Hello, everyone, and such a warm welcome to you. I'm Molly Rowan Leach, and I'm the director and founder of Restorative Justice on the Rise. And it's such a complete honor and long overdue to have with us today Ram Tiwari of the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice. And as many of you know, this is International Restorative Justice Week 2019. Um, there's a hashtag on Twitter. There's a lot of activity going on uh, throughout the world and people tweeting with that hashtag. And of course, uh, in Nepal, where Ram is located and has been a, a catalyst over at least the last decade um, to build towards implementing restorative systems in different pockets of communities in Nepal, um, I believe springboarded out of the Kathmandu area. Um, he, he served as a committee member too, um, starting this year for the United States in the uh, Washington DC based OJJDP Restorative Justice Advisory Committee, which just formed and he, he and I are gonna share with you more about that, uh, mainly Ram will because I'm not directly involved in that committee, but I know that there's some extraordinary people who we're lucky to have guiding us from that perspective of things. And that just started this year. So that's exciting. We want to point your attention too to, of course, this third annual conference. And we'll be talking about that today that Ram and his associates are hosting in Kathmandu, which is a conference that starts tomorrow, November 22nd, and runs through the 24th. You can find out more information about NFRJ at Nepal Justice, that's all one word, nepaljustice.org. Ram mentions too, to encourage people to find them on Facebook where they're very active sharing information and sharing videos and updates and all things about the conference as well. And I'd just like to share just a few words before we start with Ram today about the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice. Um, it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan, and non-governmental organization working to promote restorative, collaborative, and transformative justice in Nepal. NF, NRFJ, or NFRJ that is, aims to establish non-adversarial mechanisms in Nepal as a way of positively transforming contexts of conflict and crime so that in a longer term, a more sustainable peace can be achieved in societies. And so Ram, I, I just wanna say namaste again and thank you for being with us today. And thank you on behalf of everyone at Restorative Justice on the Rise. We're a global community. We've been growing exponentially and it's great to be here with you today. Thank you for being here. I know it's late. <laughs> um, uh, yes, namaste Molly. Namaste. Um, it's it's uh it's a true honor for for me and uh, I also think for all uh, Nepali uh, restorative justice community to be featured in your podcast or in this interview uh, because uh, most of us uh, who are in the field in Nepal uh, kind of know your work uh, know the kind of work the RG on the rise does and have seen uh, and watched and listened to a lot of uh, podcasts uh, featuring um activists um practitioners from the us and also beyond uh so the honor is truly truly mine and um mm. uh, i don't think my friends and i my colleagues will believe that we are 
we are being interviewed uh, from the RG and the Rice. So thank you so much for having us and having me. Well, again, like I said, Ram, the honor is really truly mine. And I have such deep respect for what you have done. And I know that you would probably say it, you're not the only one who has been a catalyst for programming and for systems transformation within Nepal. But I know because you and I have communicated over quite a few years since maybe 2013 or 14, as you were mentioning, um, just about networking and finding out more resources in order to be able to come back and build, um, build and listen probably. So I'm, I'm wondering if we might just jump in, if you wouldn't mind by describing what has occurred um, maybe over the timeline that it has occurred to, to come to where you are at present moment in Kathmandu, in Nepal as a whole with restorative justice. Um, uh, I would still say that um, we are in a very formative stage now. I would still, still say that. And um, I would say that too for the region. I mean, not one in South Asia, but also the Asian region. Um, in Nepal particularly, um, we've made some significant strides over five, six years. Um, to be very, to be particular on that, uh, when in last year we had uh, the first national law on children that specifically mentions the use of uh, RJ. So there is a law already which mandates the use of RJ in injustice um, related to children. Um, but, there has, but there have also been uh, many uh, openings for restored justice in various uh, laws now. Uh, mm -hmm. Apart from the uh, uh, criminal justice arena, um, there have been a lot of um, interest and uh, initiatives in communities where we deal with conflicts, uh, given that Nepal lives in a post-conflict context and we're trying to deal with our past and there are questions of healing and accountability, you know, unmet needs of justice and so on. So uh, we've found uh, that there is a great value that RG can add. Mm -hmm. And now we see a great acceptance uh, of RJ by communities, and um, that has uh, the acceptance has grown exponentially. That's how how I would like to put. And that is the reason why uh, every year our community is growing, our circle is growing. Mm -hmm. uh, there has been um, curiosity from all corners in Nepal. Mm -hmm. uh, people approach us and, uh, you know, they want to be part of the work we are doing or at least um, trying to know what we are doing and or, what, or trying to find out if there is anything that RJ can contribute to you know, peace building or justice, um, establishing justice and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so basically um, for the, I would say um, over the last six, seven years, um, there has been a very big interest. Uh, RJ has been codified, uh, been uh, practiced by communities. Um, there have been many uh, people uh, whom we call community justice practitioners trained on RJ where they can facilitate uh, dialogues or circles or keep circles um, you know, on issues that are, that are um, relevant to RJ and so on. So, uh, it's a very uh, it's a very exciting phase for all of us. 
um, and I also think that it's also giving some hopes for for the region, for for South Asia mm-hmm. and Asia. Um, yes, basically so. Ram, would you be willing to describe perhaps one of the first steps that you recall that was taken and where that was and who it was with? Uh, In general, yes, wh- too, is fine. Just to give people yeah. a feel for <laughs> the territory of um, the, you know, of the needs, the, because every community, every country and culture has unique needs, right? So I'm just curious to know what you were looking at as far as initial needs back, you know, six, seven years ago, and when that moment was perhaps, or those conversations that were had perhaps, that sort of a kind of were official kickoffs of, okay, now we're going to look together more officially at implementation. And yes. That was. Yeah. Um, sure. I think um, one of our big, uh, I would say, misunderstandings in the initial years was that uh, the judiciary, the courts, will be the drivers of change for restorative justice. That was our understanding. And we thought that you know, if we train lawyers or if we are able to um, you know, get these messages across lawyers or judicial community, you know, it's, I mean, we will make some headways into the justice system. Um, so despite many trainings we did with uh, the professionals, it didn't really work. But what worked was that Nepal had uh, Nepal still has a long tradition of community mediation, um, which includes um, the the conventional uh, so-called uh, informal justice uh, system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, after that was uh, you know legalized or that was codified into law, um, what was done was that uh, every uh, violence, every case of violence or every case of injustice was taken to mediation, and uh, and the mediation program looked uh, for win-win. Uh, so it, it kind of looked for a compromise when there was, when there was uh, injustice or violence or harm. Uh, we were practicing uh, a win-win, a compromising approach, right? And that looked um, I mean, good uh, in a very first instance, for, uh, mm-hmm. in the first very glance, but uh, if you if you if you would go deeper down the surface, um, you know there were it was still not not um, serving the needs of uh, parties who were asking for say healing or answers or um, and then for accountability and so on. People are asking for dialogues. People are looking for a more human face um, than than something of an equal compromise. So. Then we, we we started using RJ into community mediation, and that that was the moment it really really kicked up because that was immediately mm-hmm. realized by the communities that mm-hmm. this was what was missing. Tell me, tell tell us again what was missing. The restorative justice approach. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The potential that RJ. Yes. Yeah. Be, because it doesn't look for some win wins. Right. It looks for it looks for individual needs it looks for what is what yeah. what is uh, yeah. what is justice for parties not for something that is very mechanically equal right not not right. nothing like 
uh, you take this, you take this, and you know, settle for a compromise. So that was. Sorry to interrupt, Ram, but but what mm -hmm. you're saying right now is so critical for us all to understand and explore ever more deeply. I think um, because mediation, you know, while it's all well and good, is very different from restorative justice mm -hmm. for the reasons that you just shared. And it so is. it's exciting it to me that you you had that aha moment, perhaps, for your community <laughs> together. That, oh, wait a minute. By just a, a subtle shift in process to listen for needs and, um, you know, maybe, maybe you could describe, like, what was different about your process after you realized restorative justice was going to be more effective? I, well, yes, uh, the first thing was um, uh, that disputes were not um, were not um, harms. Let's say disputes, disputes were not violence, uh -huh. um, okay. right? And mediation was mostly suitable for disputes where you would like dispute for certain facts or disagreements. But if you look for violence or harms, it was not about disputes. There was no disagreement. Say, for example, someone would beat up his wife and uh, and there was no disagreement. Say, I mean, disagree disagreement over facts. So if you ask, if you would ask uh, ask the wife, she would say yes. This this these were the reasons why I was beaten up, and the husband would say the same fact. So there was no dispute over facts. Mm -hmm. And our our mediation was looking for you know, uh, uh, settling or finding some facts, or finding some settlements agreements where or say, creating understanding, uh, um, believing on the fact that there was, there was misunderstanding or there was a disagreement, but violence or harms or conflicts were not only disagreements. They were not disputes. They were a lot more than disputes. They were mm -hmm. instances where, you know, there was, a, there was a harmed party, there was a party who, who had harmed, there was, their accountability was not, uh, was not, uh, was not something that should be equally shared by two parties or let's say parties. Uh -huh. um, it was an imbalance of power. There was a huge power dynamics and mediation would never look at these, um, these very important components and uh -huh. just look for some technical solutions. Say for, uh, uh -huh. if the parties would be happy, they would do anything, but it would not look for the needs of justice and accountability. And therefore uh, the similar kinds of, uh, of, um, violence or harms would occur again, uh, and it wasn't. Yeah, basically, it wasn't looking for um, the causes and also for the consequences, right? Mm -hmm. So, for the causes, why was the why was the violence actually happening, or why was uh, and what had actually happened after the violence occurred or injustice occurred? So, uh, we we felt that mediation was uh, was being something, but it wasn't doing enough. Right. And, and when mediation, I mean, when RJ kicked in. Um, and people had this uh, very, very um, um, big epiphany. You know, people would say, "This is what we were looking for," and 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 now you give us that 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 lens, that um, mm -hmm. that tool to look at things. And that is uh, when I would um, say uh, the moment that was the moment when we um, felt our relevance here more than with uh, that justice or legal community. Mm -hmm.
And so over time, uh, more and more people involved in probably cross pockets of your community became yes. aware of its yes. efficacy. Yes. Would you and describe a bit how how that occurred. Did what, do you have um, an agreement process that you go through where there's like a written agreement for parties um, after hearing needs and concerns and exploring that piece in a circle process, I'm assuming. Um, could, could you just walk us through a little bit of how um, people took notice and maybe judges took notice, maybe um, community partners that were involved in the, in the earlier process of community mediation that you were describing? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we already have a set, uh, process for mediation or community mediation. Right. Um, right. And there, there is a process and it's, it's believed to be a process driven, um, method, right? There is a, there is, uh, the parties drive the process. I mean, they define the process. That's how it's said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the outcome is, mm, Outcome is also some sometimes uh, decided by the parties, but both of these don't actually happen. There is a set standard, and uh, parties don't necessarily choose how they want to be want to reach at the decision. And the decisions also sometimes, uh, many a time, don't um, satisfy the parties because it's just a compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I think was uh, was very crucial for us was that when we started. Um, uh, you know, creating some noise, uh, saying that disputes are not uh, violence are not disputes. It's it's more than that. Uh, whereas we we were using for a very long time a mediation for violence or violence and harms, and we we created a very uh, strong uh, distinction of the mark, saying that you know this is something that needs more than mediation. So we let's look for something that's more than mediation. And we would look for, say, if, what are the needs of the victims? What are the needs of, or what are the needs of the parties? And they would never ask for a compromise. They would ask always for some different things. Mm-hmm. And we started revising or um, uh, sometimes tweaking the mediation uh-huh. and using RJ there. So we would introduce <laughs> circles there. We would not introduce any um, agreements per se that was forced to them. We wouldn't set a deadline by which they have to come to an agreement. Yeah, so we would we would make that less formal again. Uh-huh. We would include the components of more hearing or more uh, dialogue, more, it, it became more dialogic. Yeah. Um, mediators uh-huh. or third party facilitators didn't become prominent as they used to be. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't start guiding it. And uh, very importantly, um, we we highlighted the needs of healing and accountability. I mean, that is that has been a mantra, I would say, for the for for the for all of our years. Healing and accountability is is mm-hmm. not the same thing. You know, these are very different needs. We are two different parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is how uh, I think people have um, found our relevance and. Uh, they've also asked for, uh, you know, restored justice uh, circles outside of mediation. Say, for example, if there is community conflict, not mm-hmm. only between between two parties, many parties involved, or if there is a conflict and we don't know who is the, is who is who has caused the harm, you know, a harm has been caused, but we don't know who who the who the party was who caused harm, and we do we did the circles. 
so that is how we, it has kicked off. Um, and we have uh, done um, restorative justice based circles and conferencing in many, many contexts. Mm-hmm. Uh, of late, we've uh, focused on um, domestic violence or gender-based harms uh-huh. and post-conflict um, justice. That is what is more, um, more prominent here because Nepal is a post-conflict society now. Um, and then there's a huge problem of um, gender-based harms or domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a great salience of our work in these two areas. Mm. I want to just share with everyone what um, pockets you've listed in the what we do category, since that's a little bit what we're talking about right now. Um, mm-hmm. The Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice has a Restorative Justice Resource Center. They have mm-hmm. a Restorative Justice Conferencing Center. And I'm, I'm assuming these are based in, the, in Kathmandu. But That's right. probably grown some, so you could talk about that if you'd wish. And then mm-hmm. the, uh, the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice also offers trainings in restorative justice and dialogues in Nepal, the Nepal Dialogues on Justice, mm-hmm. as well as reimagining justice. I'm sure there's more to, um, to what you're developing and having your, your 10-year plan, so to speak, for the future but you've created so much in just a very short period of time. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure we know about um, your programs that are in motion right now? Well, one, one that, that, is, um, that is always running is uh, trying to domesticate international RJ movement into Nepal. Uh-huh. Uh, say, for example, um, trying to bring... Um, practitioners from abroad here, trying to uh, translate the international documents related to RG in Nepal's context, trying to localize that into Nepali and distribute it to public mm-hmm. and the concerned authorities so that you know they think that this is not something alien that we are practicing in Nepal, you know, or that we are speaking of in Nepal. We are um, we are talking of something that is that has already been, you know, talked about for many decades outside of Nepal mm-hmm. uh, that is that is something that uh, that we think mm, is our ongoing uh, activity and that is a that is how we call it a movement mm-hmm. uh, because it it never stops that way apart from that as services yes uh, we run a conferencing center uh, that is based in our office uh, so it's it's need it's it's a need-based um, service and it's voluntary meaning that it's a free service so we don't take any charge for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, restore, and then uh, the circles uh, or the circles are something that we do in communities as per needs arise and when people ask for those. Uh, trainings uh, and orientations, we regularly to, to um, build a human resource that understands the need of shifting our paradigms on justice and you know, working for something that is more human. Uh, so that is where we train professional students um, uh, and social workers, lawyers, sometimes judges, uh, judges if they mm, want to be trained, you know, judges don't want to be trained most of the times um, because they they already know. Well, you probably are approaching it as I would guess 
as a listening process. <laughs> That's right. But probably That's right. success because you're a great listener and you're warm and um, you bring the heartful belief that this is inherent in people, right? The, these mm -hmm, practices mm -hmm. because they humanize them. Can you say a bit yes. more actually while we're on that subject um, about what restorative justice, what about it? Um, really links to us in our universal basic needs. And what about Nepali culture and people? Because, I mean, it's probably, my heart just like explodes when I think of how much I love that region of the world. I, I've, I've followed Nepal and, and Tibet for most of my lifetime. And I ha I've never been there, but I have friends there that, including you, Ram and, and FRJ, mm -hmm. who tell me, um, I have an American friend who has lived there for a long time, and he, he tells me the warmth of the people, of the mm -hmm. Nepali culture. And so what are the inherent pieces of your culture and um, perspectives of people that might really just be a natural link to restorative values and restorative worldview? And what does that mean to you? I know that's a long, drawn-out question, but mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, as you might have known, that um, ours was not a very legalese legalese culture. I mean, we didn't have laws, uh, modern court systems, mm -hmm. modern judiciary until 1950s, until the 1950s. So most of, the, most of the laws were transplanted into Nepal, you know, via India or the British. Mm -hmm. uh, our courts were, um, were transplanted uh, in the British model uh, in the 1950s. Um, similarly, many, many other legal reforms happen in the guise of development or modernity or modernizing process. And this was all, I would believe, um, um, against our 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 long held uh, you know systems essence uh, we didn't believe in litigation uh, we were very accommodating very tolerant societies we have been so for centuries mm -hmm. uh, but then you know somehow the courts appear on the scene the lawyers appear on the scene it justice becomes professionalized and then we see everything in ruins. Then prisons start uh -huh. getting filled and overcrowded. And, and then the questions of you know, people getting victimized or people, uh, survivors or victims are not getting justice, even if the court decisions have been made. So I think, the, I think that we were more um, uh, community-centered societies than, than otherwise. Uh -huh. uh, we believed in values. Then on, then on rules or laws, and, um, and those have actually helped us um, accept diversity. You know, Nepal is a very diverse country. This region is very, very diverse, but you know, there is a great, there is a significant level, level of tolerance and acceptance to one another. And uh, this provides a very solid foundation for us to, you know, uh, name this as restorative justice. We would not 
uh, say that um, what we, whatever we are tra- talking is restorative justice mm-hmm. uh, because it again sound alien or Western, right? We would just say we are getting back back to our roots. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is something we we already had, but you know mm-hmm. we were somehow misguided in 1950s up until now, and then just so let's just get back to our roots again, and uh, and that has uh, that has helped us uh, gain some currency of of what we are doing and yeah and people people believing that you know um, restorative justice is is something ours it's it's not something that that came from from the right. US or the western context yeah that yeah, that fundamental picture yes yeah sorry to interrupt again but this is so rich in what you're sharing about this context that i think we all face globally Um, those of us who are advocates and practitioners of restorative justice in what you just named as bringing it back to the community, the Mm -hmm. community ownership, we, and that we already had this, you already had it. Yeah. For for ancient times, probably. That's right. That's right. Yes. And yet this tendency for the colonization Mm -hmm. of our systems to occur and what that implies. Um, Did you want to speak to that at all? Like, because you're an international Um, advocate for restorative justice. You travel, you're serving in the U.S., as I mentioned. Um, What are you seeing about the the colonization um, and the decolonization, perhaps, in bringing restorative justice back to communities, bringing it back... um, course in in nepal but also mm-hmm. here in the u.s i mean we're we're facing um every day the difficulty of how do we best practice what we value especially those of us who are within say juvenile court systems or mm-hmm. um systems that you know have judges that maybe yeah. have a different yes. view that are you know versed in very strong legalese, very mm-hmm. strong. Yes. And how do we work together and not lose the restorative value and, and have a tendency to slide into punitive practice? Um, so based on what you just shared, I think this is a great time to kind of launch into your international role um, and also what you're doing with the OJJDP. But first, tell us more about this idea of colonization and eradication of the people's justice and then the return of it. Um, I think that's a, that's a very, very uh, big question. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> and um, I also have uh, a very mixed feelings of um, how restorative justice movement is taking place, you know, movement... Uh-huh. Um, in a very movement sense. Uh-huh. Sometimes I feel that um, the the system has been um, very westernized. Uh-huh. Arja has been very westernized. Um, by that, what I mean is that um, it it has been disproportionate in terms of who is who is taking who, who is talking RJ. Um, do I make some sense or no? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So most of the programs um, that are um, most of the programs that are happening in um, say uh, Africa or Asia, South Asia, or 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 the global South. Uh huh. We see that they don't get uh, much much mention uh, in the global art discourse. Uh, and um, and then uh, this year, I mean, earlier this year, I was in, in a UN expert committee. I mean, I hate to call that expert committee, but uh-huh. I was a member of that. Uh, you know, I wouldn't believe if we would just become an expert of RJ. <laughs> it's a lifelong process, isn't it? It is. Is that your perspective you're in? in, in <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And uh, but you know somehow we were called experts and we were invited to um, a UN meeting and uh, just to share our views and I would see what how how disproportionate that 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 team was. Um, so sometimes I have this feeling of uh, you know in the name of um, in the name of de uh, decolonizing justice are we again colonizing justice? Uh-huh. Are you westernizing it? Is it is it becoming uh sorry to say um racialized in some ways? Uh is it is it representative? Is it inclusive? Is it restorative? Is it dialogic? Uh yes. Yeah, so I have um I have some feelings about that. And then also, you know, how do you name what you're doing, right? So whatever we whatever is happening in Africa or Nepal or Asia, does it get a restorative name or not? Mm-hmm. And I I often think that it does not. No, we we're just called different, um, um, and 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 we didn't have funds to promote our work. Um, it doesn't stop us from you know looking into many different options to promote our work. But in, there is the funds help funds make a big factor, mm-hmm. and there are many other aspects as well. So I don't want to delve into that. Uh, but the colonizing aspect. Um, I think that um, colonization has had a very big role uh, in dismantling the traditional inherent uh, justice systems and many systems, many, uh, I would say, societies went into imbalance because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in our context, um, in Nepal's context, um, that, was, that was the case. So was in India, I would say. Uh, but having said that, I would never uh, uh, sanctify uh, whatever we were doing as truly, truly justice or just. Mm-hmm. There were many problems also in our in our justice systems, uh, traditional justice systems. Because it was, it happened to be patriarchal. It happened to be uh, inclining towards certain ethnic groups, certain powerful groups. There was a big power. There was a big power dynamic. But it was not as Unjust as as um, as the our legal system is now. I mean, uh-huh. the structures that are in place in the, in the name of courts, um, prisons, and so on mm-hmm. are are comparatively more unjust than the traditional justice, traditional justice system. So there is the, some comparisons can be made, but I would say that um, the colonization. Um, the real colonization uh, had um, had made us suffer, and and newer forms of colonization is also making us suffer. 
um, yeah, I would just say that. And um, and sometimes there is a tendency, even even amongst us, like the restorative community, mm-hmm. um, trying to use one model, one size fits all, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> approach uh-huh. for RJ. Right. Uh, and that is, um, yeah, that is, yeah, I don't know whether that is very restorative way of thinking, you know. <laughs> to the say that community-based to- needs really do spring up from the community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thus, um, there are, yes, there are many practices of restorative justice per mm-hmm. se, but yeah. from the community level, the people I've found, if, if, we sh- if we share together and agree together what we value, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the very first and most wonderful ways to ensure yes. that we're practicing what we value. And Completely. we can always Completely. come back to that, right? Mm-hmm. So together, yeah. but it really is a local individual practice. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, you know, and we don't have to get into it fully, but I, I couldn't agree more what you're sharing. It's just very difficult right now to, and it has been for some time. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard people that have devoted their lifetimes that are elders now in the field share their concerns, you know, about um, practicing what 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 is restorative and um, in and looking at ways to prevent pu- the punitive, you know, tendency to sneak <laughs> back in because it's that's right, and yeah. and perhaps that's a, a human predicament. You know, it could very well be that, yeah. alas, this, you know, the, the guarantee that 100% we will be restorative, that, that mm. could very well be a great vision, but it may very well be not completely possible <laughs> given our human nature and, yes. and the unwinding that we're doing. Uh-huh. All that, and you've described with such detail. Um, could, could you, while we're um, kind of on this note, talk a little bit about, uh, I know I'm sharing my screen right now because I wanted everybody to see your work with the OGJDP um, and of course the uh, meeting. And sadly, I'm sorry, for whatever reason, my computer is not showing all the beautiful people on the committee. <laughs> However, um, I believe you can find out more about that committee um, by the RJ working group link. So I'm going to follow mm-hmm. that real quick here. Yeah, there okay. they are. Okay. Here yes. And there you are, Ram. Mm-hmm. So tell us yeah, a little we... bit about this committee. And um... Um, yeah, I, I think you know more about this than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I surely know. I surely, surely know that. Um... <laughs> Thank you for uh, your faith. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know. Uh, it was, uh, I have no words to, be, uh, um, to, to say thank you for, for, for the, for the community, for the administrator, uh, uh, Karen Harp for having me in the team. Um, uh-huh. also for the U S government and people like you who have, uh, you know, put some faith in justice in the justice system and, and they went to invite some, uh, some views, 
from people like us. You know, I I know I would not make much sense being in the community community, but uh, but they they have been very kind enough to have me there. Um, it looks like um, there has been some shift in the in the U.S. Uh-huh. in some in some pockets of the U.S. justice system. I would say uh-huh. there uh, that there are some actors who went to make some change, um, and uh, and um, and in a very specific direction. So OJJDP initiative, uh, I would consider as one of those. Um, the whole idea, as you can read it there, is to you know develop very user-friendly guidelines on restorative justice and juveniles. Um, I mean, there have been many works on RJ in NJV, uh, NJJ in the U.S. and elsewhere, but maybe maybe there is no a very uh, quick um, user-friendly. Uh, handbook or user uh, there is no uh, maybe there is uh, there is still some 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 work need to be done on the state's level say for the us's level for the us government's level or for the office of justice programs level uh, so uh, that that looks like the need of creating this committee uh-huh. uh, the mandate of this as you can read is uh, to uh, meet for several times and engage uh, closely on-site, off-site um, uh, to discuss how RJ can be used very effectively in juvenile justice settings uh, and specifically for the U.S. context. And there we also um, are trying to add a lot of work, um, a lot of um, components about what RJ is, what RJ has been practiced outside the U.S., uh, what are the what are the certain norms that that RJ has followed, and what best practices are there already uh, through which we can borrow um, you know learnings from? Uh, so that is there, and uh, by the end of eighteen months, fifteen months, uh, some documents will come out, and I think that'll be accessible to public. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The modality of this is also that um, comments to the to the committee or the feedbacks or suggestions to the committee can be made uh-huh. um, by anybody. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the links are there. There can be their feedback. So it's a, it's a very, uh, very, very inspiring initiative uh, carried out by the office of the uh, OJJDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, but the most interesting thing for me is, is a little bit different. And that is uh, Nepal uh, last year had um, had RJ into uh, children's law, children's oh. law, mm-hmm. uh, and that mentioned the use of RJ and uh, and you can already guess you know we don't have any uh, regulations, rules, procedures, policies in RJ, right? Uh, but the law, the main national law, uh, mentioned that that we need to go for RJ. So as I am working for OJJDP, I'm also thinking parallelly for, for our context. So, so when we are developing policies uh, suitable to US context, uh, I'm also thinking, and our organization is also thinking of what similar or what, what, um, uh, what can we do in, in our context? Say, so so Ram, are you, are you a policy um, writer? Do you help to create restorative policy? 
Yeah, that is that is one of our works too. I mean, uh-huh. we we advocate for change, and it includes a lot of uh, advocacy for policy and laws. Uh, uh, we take it as a as a two pronged initiative. So one is working with communities, um, directly addressing, uh, directly working with them, uh, you know, addressing conflicts and harms, but also with the justice system, you know, trying to change some laws or policies so that so that things come in tandem with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is our that is our there's a plan. So mm-hmm. most of the programs are most of our programs also include judges. Mm-hmm. Justices from the Supreme Court and courts, uh, where they would give examples of how they could use RJ in certain settings, and you know how RJ can um, offer more potential for justice. So mm-hmm. yeah, we have we are trying to um, trying to push um, from both ends if possible, mm-hmm. and looks like it's working. And um... The perspective of evidence-based practices is pretty strong in the U.S. Um, you know, there's a, a strong push for evidence-based and, of course, a push for surveying. Um, and people are, are definitely surveying things such as victim satisfaction. And, you know, I hesitate to use the languaging uh, that's mm. punitive, but mm. for lack of a better word, victim um, satisfaction and of course victim needs are very valid and very important and for many processes drive those uh, drive drive the listening process that initiates you know where things go from there um, but the measurements that are going on here um, match up really with what we're finding in other countries to be true as well, who have maybe been measuring for a longer period. And so again, victim satisfaction, stakeholder satisfaction in general, you know, um, was a restorative justice process. um, Did you find it to be, you know, satisfactory, highly satisfactory, things like that. And then of course the recidivism rates, the reduction of harm and offenses are being measured as well. And I'm sure you know all this, but I bring it up because we have so many wonderful listeners and community members uh, in our global network. And some are just stepping in and learning, you know, like we all were at some point about, you know, what this all means and implies for us as individuals and communities. So that being said, would you be willing to share with us um, what are you finding in Nepal as far as statistical evidence is that something that you measure or are there areas that you're measuring that is um well this is this is one of the one of the challenges here Um, uh, most of our um evidence has been anecdotal yeah Uh, people Uh uh, have uh, become advocates for us uh, there are stories, cases of uh, injustices, and uh, and we've been able to support uh, in whatever ways we can, and and they've uh, emerged as our advocates, um, and that has been our approach so far. I love that. Uh, the, <laughs> I, have, the... I just have to say I love that because <laughs> because it seems more human. 
to, to provide yeah. anecdotes, you know, to write about these yeah. real life scenarios that were transformed mm -hmm. by the process. So yes. that just resonates more for me. I, I get evidence-based <laughs> practices. I get how important they are for us two-leggeds who really need statistical evidence. But when mm -hmm. the rubber hits the road, it's the people that this transforms because of what it offers yeah. in a safe space. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And as they say- I, I, I didn't um, mean to derail what you were sharing there. <laughs> no, no, I, I, just, I just remember a saying where, uh, which, is, which goes like, um, you cannot change the whole, whole world, but you can change the whole world of one person. Right. Mm. You cannot change the mm -hmm. whole world for everybody, but you can change the whole world for one person. So yeah. one person at a time, one heart at a time, one relation mm -hmm. at a time. Um, that's how we are taking taking our very beginning steps for these years. But if you know resources permitting, if um, if circumstances permitting, you would you would love to do more than this. Uh, like I was mentioning before. Our work, my work, is all all voluntary. I mean, we just mm -hmm. we just don't make money out of this. It's a it's 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 a passion. It's it's driven by passion. See, uh, tomorrow we have we are going to do this third uh, annual conference. We are continuing it. We are we are making it. Uh, I don't know how you say this. We are making it grander and grander every year. We're trying to bring more people from very diverse fields, and now. Uh, you know, you sometimes you just um, feel that half of Nepal's population already know restorative justice because you've been talking a lot about it. You know, we've never stopped talking about it. <laughs> we sometimes feel that everybody's everybody knows restorative justice now. You know, <laughs> just because we talk about it, <laughs> and we love talking about it every time. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that's true. I mean, we could do a lot more. Um, there, there are places where we can take uh, stakeholders together, make it a collective effort. You know, we can bring synergy from all sides, and and we can effect more change. But sorry to say, um, that hasn't really happened here. And um, maybe this it's a phenomena in many parts of the world like ours. Um, but that doesn't stop us. How can the community help help what you're doing? Are there ways that we could know better how to contribute, how to give money, how to link you to grants, or what? What do you need right now from us as as a network? Well, one um, inspirations, or, you know, patting on our back, <laughs> pats Definitely. on our back. What? <laughs> yes, uh, but also. Um, the the donor community here um, is not very open to you know funding something that is very um, non quantitative you know it just it's it's very touchy uh, our work you know restored justice is is not very it doesn't give outcomes like immediate outcome it doesn't give numbers and and you know funders would want to see change happen like immediately in in many numbers. And that and that then that doesn't happen. And um, uh, so, if there is anybody who you know thinks that you know justice is not just numbers, it's it's people, it's hearts, it's relations. 
change is also not just numbers it's more than that mm-hmm. uh, any kind of support say for example if once if someone is traveling to this part of the world and we we would want to host them mm-hmm. uh, come to our come to our programs like mm-hmm. spread spread their knowledge and wisdom to people here spread what is true things like that uh monetarily i just don't know how i should how we should ask for it um but any any help say for example uh 100 dollars uh helps uh and that that much that much money is enough to pay our monthly rental fee wow yeah so let me just repeat that yes Your monthly rental fee is 100 us dollars that's right just by and- by donating enough to which is a minimal amount to so many people really in the United States could be could be way. or say yeah. for example for if we can pay our volunteers you know some amount of money yeah. with you know, by which they would be able to you know um say for a pay for their basic basic needs you know that would encourage all of us to be to be here more and more uh, our programs in Nepal if you do you can do a very posh program in a very luxury hotel but if you um, if you want to do as effective program as that one you can just do it in a very modest hotel and with 70 or 80 dollars you can do a very interesting very important work very important event every month you know so that is that is um, small money small amounts can make mm-hmm. like big changes here and that is the reason why um where where we have been in the field here uh because if we uh, if we have like little amounts of uh, if we can contribute if, if our colleagues just contribute a little amount of money and we can just do big things here that's mm. what's driving us forward so that's um, but, that's just a an invitation to you friends and our wonderful global community those of you watching or listening in because this will be both a a zoom special feature for this week's e-news and also it will stream into our iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify podcast. So, um the invitation $100 goes a huge long way. A little bit more than that if you have um $10 to contribute. Please support the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice and Um Ram is there a PayPal account or a donation button anywhere online that people can find um again well, nepaljustice.org again yeah again this is this is a problem for us uh-huh right um yes accepting uh, because, international donations probably is yeah or or in Nepal we we are not allowed to use credit cards um we cannot um, say for example buy anything international Uh-huh. online or something like that. I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> Nepali yeah. people cannot use credit cards. Wow. Yes, yes, I mean, we can. For a long time in my life I chose not to use them either. However, <laughs> I didn't or realize say, that. Or let's say let's say uh, buying anything online internationally or making any international purchases is not allowed in Nepal unless you uh, have uh, permission from the government. I see. Um, yes, and that uh and that stops us from doing many things that we want to do. Uh but if there if there is someone who is willing to uh, contribute and we can send us their bank details and we can try to um and we we can try to um 
uh, how do you say that we can try to gain approval from the government uh-huh. if someone's willing to yeah, we can take that take that measure if someone's willing to Okay. Someone is kind enough to support is us. Is that a long process of bureaucracy? Uh, you know, it's not very process? long, but we but we would we would take that uh, okay. take that step if someone's willing. But if, yes, uh, but even if uh, it's without, uh, even if it's not economic, financial, physical support, uh-huh. um, I would we would just love to be part of the global community who believes in change. Uh, say being informed, talking to people, uh, sharing resources like people, uh, books. Uh, people can send books to Nepal. That is, I mean, that is not that isn't restricted. They can send any books that they have. Okay. Uh, documentaries that they have, unused books that they have to our addresses, and we use that in our resource center. That is open for people. Uh, that's open for public. Uh, that also matter a lot. Um, money. Not always for money, but things that are that are more um, useful to people immediately, such as books okay. or any educational materials that that can help us too. Wonderful, and hopefully, it's also easy enough for people internationally. You and I were actually talking about internet, and you know, in some places, internet is not as high speed. And I think we have biases in the U.S. Um, we don't, you know, we just don't know the, the challenges that, that some people face in other countries, unless we've lived in other countries, and then we probably would know. Um, but I think it's important to, I know, for sort of justice on the rise to try and make um, this information as accessible as possible. And that was the whole reason well, it was one of the big reasons why we started uh, almost a decade ago doing these dialogues. So are they fairly easy to access in Nepal on iTunes? And are, are th- is it easy to access podcasts and to listen to them in full? I'm not very sure about it. Um, people... Uh, I, I, iPhone or iTunes is is a very general thing in in the U.S., but here not not for many 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 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it so it might be helpful to have it have the podcast also on a website, which we do mm-hmm. in our case. Yes, yes. So and then you uh, can play it in line yes, on yes, the post page. Right. Okay, that's really yes. good to know because yes. as we are, we're about to go into a period of upgrading and minimizing our website to be more community international based um, to feature partners and also to make sure that all of our archives are up because we're missing mm-hmm. them right now. So mm-hmm. for those in line on what the website players, um, which this one will be of course a part of that, both on video and audio only MP3. Ram, I, I know it's late at night there. Um, I wondered if we could, could spend a few more minutes together. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, because I'd like to talk about your conference. That, mm-hmm. that actually is tomorrow morning, your time. Yes, yes. You'll be waking up to hosting the third annual conference on restorative justice in, in Kathmandu where you're sitting, correct? So mm-hmm. yes. Can you share with us about the conference and anything you'd like to share about the series of conferences you've had over the last three years? Um, 
it's it's an annual event and we did we did this marking the international rj week three years ago uh-huh. um, it had a lot of um it had also other objectives one was um you know bringing justice back in the discourse bringing community back in back in the in the conversations of justice uh say for example uh, up until a couple of years ago, justice was considered something very uh, esoteric. It was something, it was something very, um, very accessible, or something that belonged to certain communities, like judges and lawyers and others, professionals. We just try to bring community in. We just try to bring people in the justice discourses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third objective was uh, to, you know, say it loud what we were we are doing. Right, say. Mm-hmm. When, we say it, when we say it loud, we say it loud, and people start becoming curious of what 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 is this about? And we say this is what it is, and you know this offers some alternatives of looking at things and maybe solving some ills that we have in our societies, in addressing conflicts or crimes and situations like that. So that was our aim to create some noise, to create some, uh, to make some people think, uh, to reach to more people. Um, and and to instigate some dialogues among some people, so that was our that was our goal. Uh, and uh, for three years, um, we have received um, applications um, from many countries, from people from many countries, many as far as Colombia. Last year, this year we have participants from many countries, also from Italy. I wish and, I was one of them. <laughs> I tried to make it to Nepal a few years ago. It fell through. Yeah, my, yeah, my, I applied for a visa even. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and people pay their pay their own airfare and they pay for their own hotel and they come to to us and speak. So that 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 is that has been so um, kind from 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 their part. Um, but also in Nepal, um, people from many fronts uh, have approached us and um, have tried to become part of the conference. So the number tomorrow is growing. It's a it's a it's a practitioner con practitioners conference. We just don't want to make it a conference that is academic, where we talk about concepts and vague ideas. Uh, we just don't do that. We do this conference, as you will see from tomorrow's pictures, in a circle setting. There, so there is no parallel sessions you know everyone is important every session is important uh, and uh, and at the end of every conference we uh, from last year we started doing some declaration you know just saying that this is possible the alternative thinking is possible so last year we had this uh, Kathmandu declaration on right to restorative justice you know not just restorative justice but the right to restorative justice um, and we had signatories from many fronts including the government and we try to follow up on the declaration, uh-huh. which is also accessible on a website. This year, we are just we are doing a declaration on um, the Kathmandu, uh, sorry, declaration on RG and gender-based harms. Uh, so that will come out in, on the uh, at the end of three days. So basically, inviting people from different fields, trying to assess how gen how justice has been uh, served uh, or addressed. Uh, by you know women, by men, mm-hmm. um, by people with disabilities, by people with sexual people with sexual minorities, 
by people, by women who are um, who are single, by women or men who have been victims of um, other kinds of gender-based violence. So these kinds of um, these kinds of aspects of gender-based harms uh, is what we are trying to bring to the surface, and and then also trying to discuss what uh, RG can offer to this or what RG cannot offer to this. Um, and yeah, how basically. Are you- Ram, excuse me, how are you feeling at this moment in um, Nepali um, gender equity uh, issues? Like, do you feel like there's been some significant improvements in, in gender equity in, rec- in the recent past? And um, are you, are you going to be exploring that pretty deeply at this conference I'm hearing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, a lot. So there are, there are, there are sessions on... Um, exactly on those you know not just mm-hmm. thinking of gender as a monolithic concept or gender justice as a very monolithic concept you know just trying to look into um, many layers deeper down um, many types of uh, genovese harms uh, you know, taking the discourse more than um, gender equal, gender gender equality and so on yes um, and then also, you know, uh, we'll bring the uh, bring the mediation and gender-based uh, violence into discussion. So, you mm-hmm. know, making it very loud and clear that, you know, maybe mediation is not really suitable for gender-based harms and so on. But having said that, we want to put a, make a caution there saying that RJ doesn't offer everything. You know, there are many precautions yeah. that have to be made, but there is a lot of potential that, that mm-hmm. it can offer. Mm, so that that we have an intention of why we are doing this and do you do you and your colleagues look at epigenetics uh in the trauma that is generational in relationship to gender equity and you know as a cultural perspective and how that informs our trauma and wounding well not as of yet it's a pretty Mm -hmm thick thing isn't it i mean there's um there's a lot of studies being done and i I really appreciate um dr tiasha bankhead you probably know her from restorative justice for oakland youth and i know that she in particular and i I believe dr fania davis as well have, have really been looking into epigenetics and restorative practices because there's so much evidence that points to uh you know, the trauma and wounding that's passed down hmm. in general, whether it be gender violence based or yeah. just general uh, uh, patterns of of um, harm and wounding, you know, abuse, right. and addiction, right. and things. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested in in how we're looking at that as a field. Uh, it's a deep hmm. subject and it's robust. And there's also yeah. some really um, poignant work that came out of Europe on this thing called constellation therapy and work and family constellation work that that does actually point to um, over many studies the fact that we you know we are handing down what we what was done to us unless mm. we interrupt it unless we interrupt it unless we reframe it and transform it. And that's part of why I believe in this work so much, even in all of its messiness and imperfections. 
Um, did you yeah, have anything yeah. else you would like to make sure we know about this conference that you're going to be in for the next couple of days? What would you um, share for about it? Uh, I think that's that's mostly um, mostly about the conference. Uh, we call it Nepal conference just um, just to make it. Uh, a point that you know, there is also something happening in this part of the world, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it's not specific to Nepal. Uh, Nepal is a place where it happens, but the topics cover uh, many geographies. Many they they grow across boundaries, territory mm -hmm. territories. Um, so we would love to have uh, you know more people coming over in next years. Uh, because we are sure we'll do it next year also and many, many years. Hmm. Um, so that invitation I want to extend uh, to all of our, um, our, our fellow, our brothers and sisters in the community. Um, and and um, before I forget, um, I'm so inspired by you, Molly. Very, very inspired. Uh, for the consistent, uh, for the consistency that you've seen, yeah, that you've shown, uh, um, I don't think there can, there, there is no, uh, no way we have, uh, we have reached anything um, uh, close to your, 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 your um, vastness of uh, understanding, experience, and expertise. Uh, so. Uh, we hope to also be guided by you and your wisdom, Molly, in particular. Um, and then in future years, you know, want to learn from what's happening elsewhere and how we can take this movement forward in this part of the world, but also globally. And that mm. expectation I have with uh, you and, and all of you. Oh. Thank you so much. Thank you. That really touches me deeply. Um, and certainly it's due to a gift greater than myself um, of, you know, witnessing very difficult experiences that did not offer dialogue um, that have impacted my life deeply. And so I just wanted to offer myself in seva, in service, in a way that could give back what I've learned, what I've witnessed and help people and hopefully reach people that otherwise may not be able to have access. And um, so that's why I love technology for this. Like the upside of it is so beautiful because here you are sitting in Kathmandu late at night speaking with me and I'm in, central Colorado and it's snowing like crazy and we're having this profound conversation about this work and that is really exciting to me because technology has connection opportunities um, there is an upside to it <laughs> yes and yes. I have to honor um, all the teachers that I know you have had and I have had um, there's so many of them that have shared wisdom with me, sat down with me, 
uh, modeled for me how to listen with presence and to remove, you know, the idea that we're thinking about something, anything other than what's being said and shared in that moment. Because dialogue really is much less about words and much more about presence and um, what's beyond in the communication. And that's not really a woo-woo thing. Maybe in Western culture we'd call that woo-woo, but not really. Because we know that um, there's so much going on in how we work together in, in the nonverbal realm. Mm. But I want to thank uh, I want to thank you for your tireless work as well, and I want to just invite um, you to know how much you mean to this project. Um, I want to say to everyone involved in NFRJ how much you mean to us as well. So. Um, hopefully, some of you will be tuning into this after the fact, and so it's important that I, that you know I'm speaking to you um, on behalf of so many of us here in the United States and North American continent and in the world, um, all who have been my teacher. You are as well, Ram. Um, thank you. So thank you for sharing the details and the the ins and outs of what you're exploring right now, and thank you for taking a long flight to Washington, D.C. this summer to share your wisdom with that committee, with the OJDP committee that we looked at in this session together today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of all, um, just for everyone who's listening, for everyone who's watching, please support NFRJ. Go to their website, get the address, send them some some RJ books, peace-building books, Look at at, uh, major donors who um, might be able to invest even small amounts um, that go a long, long way. Like Ram said earlier, $100 U.S. dollars covers an entire month of um, basic needs rent from what what I was hearing from you earlier. That's correct, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So before we wrap up, is there... Uh, a checkout that you'd like to share with us of any kind, um, just to, to kind of close out our, our mini circle together today. Um, well, I always have in my heart, um, in my heart, um, um, an overwhelming emotion, overwhelming emotion that fills me, fills me with gratitude when I think of, um, how much RJ has offered to me in terms of, you know, getting some purpose of my life. Um, but also having the, having this, this, this lens to see things differently, think things differently. And that, uh, that came from the U.S. Mm. I, I would, I would uh, not hesitate saying that. So reading books from 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 the U.S., reading the works of the pioneers and the, the gurus of the field, um, listening to very um, in the very beginning phase, listening to podcasts with all these gurus and and pioneers of the fields, and that's how we started our journey. And um, and uh, I don't think there is any word that is sufficient that is. Um, that is enough to you know 
to be to express our gratitude. Mm -hmm. So, thank you uh, for everything that you have uh, offered uh, for the for the for the gurus in the U.S. that that they have offered to me and us, and they pro provide us support in many different ways. Inspiration is a very big thing. Hope is such a big thing. You know, sometimes we say hope is the hope. Everything everything goes, but hope remains, right? Uh, so that is the, the tireless effort that I see many people, um, you know, doing this in this field of RJ is, is what's, what was, what, that is what's uh, firing us up most of the time. So, you know, as, as they say, uh, if you get tired, mm, don't quit, take rest. Never give up. Hmm. Yeah, never give up. And you always know, know that you're not alone. That's right. Learn to take rest, never to never to quit, right? And, and that idea comes from, come, comes from that part of the world. And uh, we, our organization, myself, our colleagues, um, would like to express this, uh, this, um, this gratitude mm -hmm. for, for giving us this, this life, this sense of purpose. Well, I just want to, again, thank you so much. Um, of course, we are sharing with Ram Tiwari, who is the chairman of the executive committee of the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice. Also, recent appearances, advisories with the UN, as well as um, committee membership with the OJJDP based out of Washington, D.C. And I'd really just love to invite you again, my friends, to visit their website, which is nepaljustice.org. And as Ram mentioned, the Facebook group for the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice is very active. And so that's probably the best place to go first, to, to go like and connect there at the Nepal Forum for Restorative Justice Facebook page. Do you have a direct way to be contacted for anyone who would like to to do so um, um email, well, on the website or on facebook which one is best from sure um email uh our email address nij at nepaljustice.org is is very accessible for us um my personal address is r tiwari r is ram tiwari at nepaljustice.org or if they can send us um, any message in our facebook we, we would be uh, we, we, we would respond that. I mean, it's, it's not very difficult for us to access. Okay. Well, wonderful. And, and of course, um, as your host, it's always an honor and pleasure and a specific honor today for me with you, Ram. And we really encourage and invite people to consider continuing to engage and share and pass along the dialogues from our website at restorativejusticeontherise.org. We're, we're committed to continuing our podcast and we also have built in educational offerings, which perhaps we can grab uh, Ram and the NFRJ at some point for, mm -hmm. for something fun like that and informative. Mm -hmm. So namaste. And I believe, is it Subharatri or is it... <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Subaratri. It is. is that Subaratri. right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. This has been a very special 
Restorative Justice Week 2019 edition of Restorative Justice on the Rise. Be well. Thank you. Thank you.